Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 51 of the Kennedy Mile Report, brought to you by our great sponsors, Carbonite Pro, online backup for your law office. Carbonite Pro backs up your files automatically and continuously, so you're always protected. Learn more and try it free at CarbonitePro.com. Clio, online practice management for attorneys at GoClio.com. And Firm Manager from LexisNexis, a leading provider of information and business solutions. Try it out free at MyFirmManager.com slash LTN. I'm Dennis Kennedy from St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In the last podcast, we talked about what's new in backing up your data. In this episode, we talk about the hottest technology story of the year. Tom, want to tell them what we'll be talking about? Sure, Dennis. In this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we're going to discuss the latest version of Apple's iPad tablet computer and whether it heralds the end of the PC. In our second segment, we have another edition of things Dennis and Tom have been talking about. And as usual, we'll end with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can use as soon as this podcast is over. But on to our first segment, uh, iPad 2. A couple of weeks ago, Steve Jobs announced that the latest iteration of the iPad would be released very quickly after the announcement on March 11, this past Friday, for for when we were recording it. The technology world, uh, Dennis and I included, accordingly, I think, went a little berserk. Uh, We both decided for journalistic purposes only, I'm sure, Dennis, decided to try to brave the lines on release day, and we both had what I think would be... Um, in some ways similar, but in some ways different experiences. Dennis, want to describe how your trek to the Apple Store went? Yeah, Tom. So I, I decided that, uh, as you said, for for purposes of this show, uh, to go to the Apple Store in in uh, West County, St. Louis, and uh, just stand in line and, and see what happened. And uh, I was. Uh, I don't have a new iPad 2. Let's just put it that way. So I, I think it was it was an interesting experience because I think that there's so much secrecy around these things that that you really get way too little information. And I sort of learned, I thought more about sort of retail 1.0, if you will, versus retail 2.0 as I was there, more so than I, I did even the iPad. So to me, I just felt there wasn't a lot of information. And, and, and also, I don't think Apple, they were more concerned with managing the line than they were kind of showing off their product. So I was surprised that, you know, the Apple people weren't, uh, you know, using iPads, they weren't demoing things to you in line. It was just a, it was a really difficult in a lot of ways experience, and, uh, and they ran out of stuff. I, I, I guess I was, I wasn't thinking very clearly about this because I thought the issue would be the length of the lines and how long it would take you to get into the store and actually buy something. It really didn't dawn on me until I got there um, that I, I wouldn't get an iPad at all. And so when I got there. So I went at six saying, well, the line will thin out a little, uh, a little bit after about an hour. And what I found was that I was just past the point where they'd given out claim tickets for the line. So I still decided to to wait, you know, for journalistic purposes. And I eventually, as the line, you know, moved on, I actually got the claim ticket. I got the last one at one point. 
Um, but what I found was when they ran out of the version of the iPad that I want that I wanted, um, that that claim ticket really didn't give me any entitle me to anything. So instead of saying, "Oh, this lets me go into the store and then back order what I want," it really meant that I could go into the store and buy whatever iPad happened to be left. So it was a unsatisfying experience in a lot of ways. I then went on to to Walmart, Target, and Best Buy, and uh, ended up with nothing. But I know, Tom, you were a lot more successful. Well, actually, before I go into it, I want to ask real quick, how, how long did that experience take? What, uh, how long did, did were, were you in line? How long did it take you to get into the store once you were in line? I'm Just for, for comparison purposes. Well, I never made it into the Apple store. So I was probably in line at the Apple store, maybe. So I got there about six. Uh, it was clear that I wasn't, uh, you know, that things weren't going to happen for me uh, about 645. So it wasn't that long of an experience. And so let's say I left work a little bit after five and I got home around eight o'clock and I made it to four stores in, in that in that time. Well, you know, I, I, I guess I guess we should say that neither of us had what I would say is the quintessential Apple experience, how Apple truly intends for its users to experience the release of one of its new magical products. And 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 those folks I did witness. Um, I was at, not in Dallas uh, this past week. I was in Chicago on Friday. And so I decided to buy it while I was out of town. And I was out and about uh, walking by the Apple store in downtown Chicago at nine. 30 in the morning and there were already about 15 people in line uh, at 9.30 in the morning and I thought how absurdly crazy that is. But those are, that is the experience. And, and Dennis, you and I didn't have that same experience. By the time I came back later in the afternoon, the line at the Apple store was literally around the block. I knew there was no way I was ever going to get anything at that store. Um, but but fortunately, there was a Best Buy about three blocks down from the Apple store. Uh, many fewer people knew that Best Buy would have them. And so I I slipped into line, I guess, about 3.45. They released the iPads at 5 o'clock. Um, I was very lucky because I was one of the last people to actually get an iPad. Uh, the, the upside about the Best Buy is the shorter lines. The downside is the smaller stock. They didn't have the inventory that the Apple store did and uh, they ran out pretty quickly. But I um, I wanted the larger, the 64 gig, and I didn't need 3G. The 3Gs were pretty popular in the smaller sizes, and those went first. But a 64 gig Wi-Fi, I, I got the last one in the store. And um, that whole process, I waited in line for about a, an hour and 15 minutes before they started letting people in, and then it took maybe 30 minutes uh, to get through the line. So in all, I wasn't there longer than two hours, although at 40 degrees. It, it felt like a lot longer um, than two hours. So uh, I, I would say that the experience was a good one ultimately, since I have an iPad in my hands, but it's not something that I would prefer to go through on a regular basis when all the new technologies come out. Dennis, anything that else that you've heard about uh, about the iPad release that, uh, that you in particular want to talk about or want to ask me about with my new iPad? No, I mean, I, I think that we've heard that basically every place sold out. So whatever mysterious number of iPads Apple made available, they apparently have, have all sold out for this first chip shipment. There's no idea when the next shipment would be. That's sort of the frustrating thing about the Apple store is if you think lawyers are hard to pin down on any on details, there's nothing <laughs> compared to the Apple salespeople working this line. Like I said, there were a couple of things that really astonished me that 
you know, Apple did not use, you know, everybody's there in line with an iPhone and, you know, that technology wasn't used. There was no real-time updating of what stock was left. They weren't showing the iPads. And then what was shocking to me as I think back on it is I had a claim check and they made no effort to capture who I was, my email address, a way to get back to me. Because uh, people who are standing in line are obviously serious uh, customers. And, and so the whole retail experience really, really surprised me. Um, I'm, I'm just, I guess I've just become so used to ordering things I want, uh, you know, through Amazon or online that um, it just made me think about the whole retail experience of standing in line, not being able to get the product that you want, uh, having your choice of what's left. It, it just, uh, it, it made me really question how retail is done today uh, and, and and think that maybe the online uh approach is the best. But Tom, the one thing that, that that happened out of this experience is it certainly puts the burden on you to uh, to tell us what's going on with the iPad too, because you actually have one. I do. And, and, and before I talk about it, let me, let me kind of give my thoughts on, on retail 1.0. I agree with you. I, I think the Best Buy wasn't really any better than the Apple store was. And but frankly, I think the Apple store was in a better position to, uh, to provide a better experience for the folks who were in line than they did. And that is disappointing. I, I have seen that it appears to be sold out everywhere. Uh, early reports say that uh, that 70% of the people who bought iPads on Friday uh, did not have an iPad 1, did not have the first version of the iPad. So these are new users, um, which will be interesting to see how the uh, the current users wind up uh, uh, following along and whether whether they'll do that but but I think you'll experience my guess is you'll experience the same types of weights that I did when I first got the iPad I I kept calling around looking for iPads and I literally had to call almost every day to the stores because they could not tell me when they would get shipments in they said well we get them in most every day but some days we don't um, very I, I don't know if that's intentional or if that's just very you know poor retail management but it is what it is um, I do have an iPad in my hand uh, what if you've read articles about it, I think pretty much everything that was predicted about it uh, or was said about it beforehand is true. Um, it's a lot thinner than the original iPad. It's a lot nicer and easier to hold. It feels better in your hand. It feels uh, it's it's thinner than my iPhone, much thinner than the original iPad. Um, it's faster. Uh, it works a lot faster, especially um, when I'm browsing the web, but getting in and out of applications is a lot faster, a lot zippier, I think, than the old operating system. There is, as we talked, as, as, as people have talked about, a front and rear facing camera finally catching up to all the, the iPad. Uh, phone devices and other tablets like the Motorola Zoom. Um, that's to allow you to do FaceTime. You can take pictures with it. There is a camera, obviously, but uh, the primary uh, reason to have the cameras is to do FaceTime so that you and other iPhone or iPad users can carry on uh, video conversations with each other. I have to say that that the, the camera quality is not that great. Uh, the cameras have been widely panned in the reviews that I've seen for not being of great quality. I don't know why they uh, they chose to to make the, the cameras of this quality because the, the the camera within the iPhone 4 is so much better I think than what's in the iP iPad uh, I think those are to me the biggest changes that that I've seen I, I 
what I've what I've seen in the reviews, and I tend to agree with this, is that this is really iPad 1.5 and not really iPad 2. It's it's more of an evolutionary version uh, than a, than a revolutionary release. And I think I, I tend to agree with some of the critics who say that uh, this was done to counter the release of the Motorola Zoom, the Android tablet that uh, has been been widely praised as being a, a, probably the first best tablet to uh, to host Android. And I think that this was to steal a lot of uh, of the Zoom's thunder. And I think it really has been successful with that. Uh, so that's that, that's I, I think that the next the next version of the iPad is likely to have many more revolutionary changes to it, but I don't know that we'll see that until next year, seeing that Steve Jobs called this uh, uh, the, that called 2011 the year of the iPad 2. Dennis, um, from what you've heard about uh, the iPad, what um, what role do you think, let's kind of talk about the iPad in terms of lawyers and how lawyers can use it. I, I know we probably talked about it a little bit on this uh, um podcast before, but uh, with the debut of the iPad 2, does that up the ante for lawyers to get an iPad? What are your thoughts on how lawyers will use it? Well, I, I th- first of all, I think it does. And, and then I, I kind of want to comment on on the, the speculation that this was designed to compete with the, the Zoom. I just think the lead times, lead times on these products are so long that, that I, I don't really buy that argument. I sort of feel that, you know, if you go back and look at our iPad 1 podcast, I was waiting till September when I thought the iPad 2 would be released. So to me, it just it feels really late. Um, anyway, so um, I don't I don't really buy that. I just think it was time to refresh it, and it was it was already in the works. I think that um, you know now, as I've sort of over the course of the year, and I thought I'd have the iPad by now, but I've gone to the MacBook Air, the iPhone, and the iPad, and so I, I needed to. I, I've been thinking about how it fits into into this whole world, and so the camera thing doesn't bother me because people are typically going to have you know they may have an iPhone, um, right. so they can use those those cameras. I think it the to think about the iPad though it seems to me that it is that middle device and so I think you need to focus on how you would use it and this is where I think it gets really interesting for lawyers because of the analogy to the legal pad so I th- I think it's very portable it doesn't have complete functionality it doesn't have the keyboard um it can't do exactly what a PC can can do, you know, people joke around about, you know, you can't use it as a phone unless you're going to hold that whole pad up by the side of your head. And so I think (laughs) that, you know, it, but it becomes very interesting in this portable device, you know, moving from your desk to a conference room to take notes, uh, going to, to talk to clients, uh, when you're traveling, when you're on a plane, um, all these different things where it makes, where the, uh, you know, iPhone or or your Android phone are just too small to to do work, and you don't want necessarily want to have a laptop, especially a work laptop, which is heavy and big. Um, and so, this becomes really interesting. And when you when you see how many are being sold, um, it it does. I mean, I hate to use the word game changer, but it this one seems like we we really are starting to see things change. And I think that notion of moving toward a post PC era. Is is really uh, compelling for me. It, it's it, what we've seen is that with the iPad, 
Sales of laptops have gone down. The sales of netbooks have really dropped. It's like the iPad is starting to take that place. And I think that because of the analogy to the legal pad, the tablet, the, the tablet format is just really attractive for lawyers. Yeah, I know. I, I very much agree. I, although I think that there are, are, are times that lawyers are not going to want to use a tablet, but, but I think that a tablet is part of or is becoming and should be a part of the lawyer's technology, I'll, I'll call it an arsenal, um, that that they can use. I, I view, much like you do, that the iPad is great for content, holding content. Uh, you can put all your all your legal reference books on it. You can have the, the rules, bring your federal and civil rules to court with you on your iPad. You don't have to pack them anymore in a trial briefcase. Um, you can read and mark up briefs, um, PDF files. It's so nice to be able to read and annotate on PDF files, whether they're briefs, whether they're case law, whether they're deposition transcripts. You've got all your transcripts right there in one place on your iPad. Uh, I, I, I still am not a big fan of creating content uh, on an iPad. I think that, um, you know, as, as Josh Barrett at Tablet Legal talks about, that, that, that the idea of the iPad is really for writing and not for creating documents. And um, I, I agree with that. I think that if you're going to, to create briefs or pleadings or, or contracts or transaction documents, whatever it happen, you happen to be creating, um, you're not going to, you're not going to want to finish that on the iPad, but you might want to start it on an iPad. I think that where the iPad is going to be really interesting in a in a limited scenario isn't going to trial. There are now a number of apps that can help you pick juries, that can help you present evidence. You can hook up to a projector now and you can show evidence to the to the to the jury or to the judge in a hearing or a trial and uh, and mark that up. I don't think that it's certainly strong enough to uh, to handle uh, very sophisticated trial presentations and you're going to want to use a laptop and and different technologies for that. But for basic uh, trial demonstration and, and showing of documents, I think it's it's really a strong contender for that. Uh, Dennis, any predictions for where we're headed here with with the app platform, with, uh, with the iPad, with what I think you mentioned to it, Steve Jobs referred to the end of the uh, PC era. We're in the post-PC era now. Well, I, a couple predictions, I think. One is that um, the mobile platform is out there, and we've talked about that a lot, Tom. It's, it's, it's something we both think is incredibly important, and the iPad is, is another approach, like the iPhone, the, the smartphones, is a way to get to that mobile platform. We can have access to whatever we want, anywhere, anytime. Um, so that's big. The The whole notion of apps is changing the internet, Um Maybe in some negative ways, but it's, it's definitely changing the internet. So our experience of the internet is becoming different and, and in a way sort of more insular. And so your experience of the internet and my experience of the internet are going to start to change as we access through apps. I, I think that's significant. Um, I think that uh, in the work setting, I, we're already starting to see this bring your own device uh, approach, and and I think people want these types of of tools uh, that 
and not the f- sort of three, four year replacement cycle of, of laptops and desktop computers that's typical in, in law firms and elsewhere. So I think that the, there's going to be a lot of momentum toward these things because people just want better stuff that, that works for them. And I, th- I think they'll find this, uh, but I think it's that sort of the mobile approach and then also seeing the iPad as this sort of like, as I call it, middle device, an extension of of the workplace, extension of your laptop or desktop computer, and something that's a little bit different than phone that allows you to do certain types of work. And and I, uh, it was difficult to predict how big the iPad would be, but most people underestimated it. So I suspect we'll underestimate a little bit, even on the iPad too, that um, it's probably is going to start to to significantly change things and and probably we'll see better numbers than than what people predicted. Yeah, no, I I agree with you and and my only I guess closing comment would be a pitch. I will make a quick pitch for uh for a book that I've been writing for the ABA's Law Practice Management section. Uh it's called iPad in 1 hour for lawyers. It's part of the Law Practice Management Section's one-hour series, teaching lawyers how to do things. So it's a, it's if you had an hour with the iPad, uh, what would you do? So it's it's pretty basic. It's if you're new on the iPad or if you know someone who's new on the iPad and could use some help, I teach you how to set it up, how to browse the web, how to set up your email and your contacts and your calendars, um, talk about some apps for both productivity and from a legal perspective. And uh, that uh, book is designed. I think it, we're we're hoping that it gets uh, published and and is available for ABA Tech Show. It should be available for pre order on the ABA publishing site within the next couple of weeks. So take a look out for that if you are interested in learning more about how to use your iPad. Dennis, any final remarks before we move on? Well, I just want to second the the uh, what you're saying about your book. I think it'll be a terrific resource, a good starting point for lawyers who who want to to use the iPad. Um, you know, if you can figure out a way how to get one, um, you know, I, I, I think, uh, that will be great. That's sort of the biggest hurdle at, at the moment. Um, but I think this is really, uh, it really is a significant development and, and I think it will have an enormous impact over time on how lawyers actually use technology. Yep, I agree. And 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 if you want an iPad too, I think Dennis is right. Getting getting the iPad is going to be the biggest challenge. If you absolutely can't wait, I hear that they're selling all over the place the iPad One for crazy cheap prices. So uh, go out on the internet and take a look. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our sponsors. <laughs> Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to talk to us about the benefits of cloud computing. Now, what do you think the single biggest benefit to cloud computing is? In talking to our customers recently uh, about that very question, I was surprised with what came back with as, as a really resounding response, and, and that was that it's the convenience and the freedom that cloud computing affords them the ability to get their work done from anywhere whether it's at their office at the courthouse at home or even if they're on vacation they're able to get their work done where and when they need to get it done Uh, the mobile aspect of things is also increasingly important with cloud-based software you can access your data and software from your iphone or your ipad uh, your blackberry uh, and other mobile devices. So for the uh, lawyers that are on the move, which is an increasing uh, proportion of lawyers, that's a, a really key benefit as well. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. 
Thank you. And if anyone wants additional information on Clio, they can feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. A computer disaster is devastating. Imagine losing your client files and billing records. That's why more law offices are using Carbonite Pro online backup. With Carbonite Pro, your files are backed up automatically so it really gets done and continuously. They're stored securely and safely off-site. Plus, each employee can access their backed up files from any computer or from their smartphone with a free app. Prices start at just $10 a month. Start your free one-month trial at CarbonitePro.com. That's CarbonitePro.com. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. And welcome back to the Kennedy Mall Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And it's time for another Stuff Tom and Dennis Have Been Talking About segment. The South by Southwest Conference was the tech conference where Twitter first broke out a few years ago. And each year, there's a lot of attention on what new technology will catch the attention of the sort of cutting-edge, high-tech attendees at South by Southwest Conference. The speculation has been that group messaging will be the story for 2011. So as ABA Tech Show 2011 approaches, which is April 11th through 13th, Tom and I were wondering what new tools from South by Southwest we might see at Tech Show, and if there's a group messaging tool we might suggest. Tom, your thoughts? Well, you know, let's talk real quick about what kind of what what a group messaging tool is. Um, the ones that they're primarily talking about address a really basic need that uh, that people I, it's haven't thought a whole lot about, and that's the idea of when you're at a conference, when you're in a in an area with a group of people, uh, text messaging, at least for amongst the younger generations, um, and and to a certain extent, the everybody uh, is becoming a increasingly popular way of communicating with people. And if you are in, I will tell you, I was in uh, New York with a group of friends a couple of weeks ago. There were eight of us. And if I wanted to communicate with them, I was either having to text them individually or sending a group email. And the group email was not uh, a great process. Enter group messaging. These tools are websites, they're apps um, that essentially allow you to send text messages either as push notifications so that it's not taking up your text uh, limit or as regular SMS text messages. So think of it as being in a chat room, um, talking to a group of people, but, uh, but uh, it's, it's all in the form of text messages. I am aware of maybe three or four services that are 
um, that are going to be sort of front and center during South by Southwest. The one that I think is getting a lot of buzz is Group Me. Group Me gives you a unique phone number. It allows up to 25 people in a group to text each other and even hold, you get a phone number, so you can even hold group phone calls. Um, like I said, you can get those texts by SMS, by push notifications. Um, another service that's been widely talked about is called Beluga, like the caviar. Uh, it was, uh, or the whale. It was recently acquired by Facebook, so that's hopefully something that's still being used. Uh, usually when they get acquired by Facebook or other big companies, they shut them down for a while and and re, uh, re-debut them under their own uh, branding. A company called Fast Society is actually designed for shorter-term groups. It's uh, people who are put together for a specific outing, for a party. Uh, it tends to target teens and young adults a little bit more than, uh, than, than the older generations. And then finally, there's a tool called Yobongo, Y-O-B-O-N-G-O. It's a little different uh, because it's designed to create friendships, new friendships. When you start the service, you are launched immediately into a conversation with 10 other people um, who are strangers uh, in the same geographical area. So a little bit a different concept, but if you want to meet new people at a conference, it's a way to do it. Any of these tools uh, excite you enough, Dennis, to want to start using them at Tech Show this year? Well, I was listening to uh, This Week in Tech, and it looks like Beluga has a slight lead in, among in the early returns from South by Southwest. Um, I, I think they have a place, and I, I think the, the conference is really the, exp- the place to experiment with these tools. And I, I think that Twitter can be seen as, as way too public, and as you say, the sort of one-to-one instant messaging or you know CCing everybody on email uh, probably doesn't work so well. So the idea of setting up this private group and allowing everybody to kind of communicate with each other by uh, SMS or some kind of instant messaging is really attractive. I remember, I I forget what year, Tom, you'll have to correct me on this, but sort of early on in in Tech Show, we decided to experiment with Twitter uh, in the very early area. I forget it was 2007, 2008, and it was an utter, utter failure. But it built over time um, so that Twitter last year at Tech Show was really an important feature of Tech Show. So I think we'll see some experimenting with it. I would probably tend to go with whatever tool really does get some buzz out of out of Tech Show or out of South by Southwest. But I suspect there's this whole issue of critical mass. And one thing about Tech Show is um, there's a great thing that we do there called uh, the Conference Concierge Desk. And uh, we're the attendees can go and get information, talk to people, and usually, you know, one of our old co-hosts on on the podcast, Adriana Linares, is 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 there. I tend to be there. Tom tends to be there, and so. But I think probably what gets recommended at the conference concierge desk will probably be that group messaging tool that people really try. Um, that would be my guess. Uh, if I had to put a big guess, I would say probably GroupMe or or Beluga will will probably be the ones that that we'll, we'll see at Tech Show. I think you're right. And and I, I really think, and, and certainly they're not doing this at South by Southwest, but I, I really think that what's important uh, for a conference like Tech Show, or if you're putting together a legal conference, whether it's technology or otherwise, I think that it's it, it's a good idea for the conference itself to to let the users know here's here are a couple of them here's one that we're going to be recommending that you use because I think that one of the reasons why Twitter was such an utter failure is there was no method of dist- 
distribution. There was no way to communicate it to the conference attendees. I, I, I remember that when I was chair, I tried to talk about it in my opening speech, but nobody really knew what I was talking about. I think that that if there's some sort of messaging that says, you know, want to keep in touch with your friends at the conference, um, ABA Tech Show uses GroupMe or Beluga or whatever it is. I think that having something like that is a is a great idea to 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 help encourage adoption of it because it all often doesn't happen virally in the way that we uh, want to happen or that we would prefer it to be anyway. Great observation, Tom. Now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip website or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. My uh, parting shot this week uh, is in line with the iPad 2 and is also, I wouldn't call it utterly frivolous, but it is certainly not legally related. And that is uh, check out the March Madness app uh, from the NCAA. It is a fantastic app for either your iPhone or for the iPad. Uh, They've made the decision to offer access to every single basketball game for free on your iPad. I had it open yesterday afternoon. I popped open the the March Madness app and it said uh, attend the or watch the uh, the, the bracket uh, uh, debut the bracket announcements and so I pushed it and instantly I'm watching on my iPad all the bracket announcements for free you can watch the bracket you can keep your own bracket there if you are a March Madness fan download this app it's completely free it's fantastic Dennis yeah that, that app worries me that that will that presages the end of the unlimited mobile data plans because uh, I don't know <laughs> how much data we're pumping through there i'm for my parting shot i'm I'm taking the opposite uh, an opposite approach in in a way um, to me in the history of blogging one of the the really turning points for blogging was uh, what's known as the Indonesian tsunami several years ago and and the role that the bloggers and blogging played in getting information out. We've sort of seen that the the role social media and blogging and the internet plays um, as in natural disasters. Uh, the recent events, uh, the Japanese earthquake and tsunami, are um, just overwhelming in a lot of ways. And the in the live raw video people are taking on their mobile phones and stuff is is, is devastating in a lot of ways. And so um, I want to give two. Two uh, resources for people who want to figure out how they might be able to contribute. And the first is is an aggregation site that Google has put together. It's called Google Crisis Response. So that's going to be www.google.com slash crisis response, um, all one word. And they're just trying to put together a lot of tools and information that they have, including something known as the Google People Finder, people trying to, to use to locate missing people. The other, the other great site I think is uh, is a site called Charity Navigator, uh, which has put together uh, again, sort of aggregated some of the the places that you can donate for the the Japanese earthquake and tsunami, and it also has a lot of great practical information about how to avoid scams and to choose good charities to contribute to. It is shocking how fast the scammers um, take advantage of these things and tr- and try to. Uh, uh, basically defraud people uh, of their money that they, they want to put to a good cause. So I think both sides um, could be very helpful in, in this time. No, excellent suggestions, Dennis. I have always, uh, I, I like the new idea that uh, that people can text a, a, a donation to the charity of their choice and, and automatically get billed for that. I think it's a really simple and easy way to donate even just a little bit of money uh, to disasters like this. 
So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, is theoretically available on our show notes wiki at tkmreport.com. It's still down, and we are still working on trying to get it up and running again, so please be patient. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. Get this podcast on your new iPad by subscribing in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.